everyone. Welcome to this edition of Connected by Community, brought to you by Valentine Capital Advisors. We're bringing you podcasts about our community, about businesses, nonprofits, and other interests. Uh, I'm joined by Cameron Cannon from our office and also Eric Stein from East Bay Investment Solutions. Eric, welcome back. It's good to see you again, Brian. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and so I didn't tell you this, you win the award as the first and only second <laughs> appearance ever. I'm honored. In the history of Connected by Community. I'm honored. I mean, that can only come one time. <laughs> we need to get a plaque or something. Really <laughs> it's kind of like that. Well, you know, in our office, it's funny. We just switched. I don't have an example. For years, probably decades, we've had blue pens. We now have green pens. And what I've been telling everyone, mm -hmm. they're the same style. They just change colors. The blue are now collector relic items that will be on eBay. <laughs> so this moment in history, you could, if I were going to talk about this, you could oh, buy. We could do an NFT of this. We, we could buy an NFT, which we're going to talk about maybe, <laughs> of this moment. Like maybe I should, someone out there is going to do this Create for Create a unique code, have yeah, an NFT, we, and you could sell it. Well, I didn't even think of that until we started. So let's start this conversation. You know, one of the reasons we want to have you back uh, is to talk about this crypto thing and blockchain and fungible tokens and all these things. And some people know what they are, some they don't. So I guess maybe high level first, you know, what's your take on what is all this stuff at a high level? Yeah, it's a, a great question. Um, they're all different. So, you know, you've got cryptocurrency, you've got blockchain, you've got NFTs. They can all sort of work together. So, for example, if you have, if you purchase an NFT, you can do it using cryptocurrency and you would actually do it over blockchain. So, they're all somewhat connected, but they're just a little bit different. So, you know, uh, uh, cryptocurrency is supposed to be like a currency, something you could use to purchase something else. So we'll just keep that off to the side. And then you've got an NFT, which is a non-fungible token. So it's something that it's sort of a unique code for something that can't be sort of exchanged. Um, so if you think about um, a, a unique piece of artwork or if you think about somebody that even has like I've, I've seen um, examples of like a sneaker collection, something that just is in short supply, that's a unique item uh, that somebody wants to collect. That's sort of what an NFT can be. And blockchain is a public database, which is how a lot of these uh, cryptocurrencies or NFTs are, are being transacted. So it's sort of a public database that is supposed to be um, transparent so you can actually see the transaction. So again, going back to that example, if you bought an NFT, you could do it buying crypt with cryptocurrency and it would be over the public database of blockchain. So they're all somewhat connected, but they're all incredibly just different components. So in all jokes aside, we're just taking this moment using an example. <laughs> but if I'm trying to buy this moment digitally for those out in the stratosphere, that could have all been transacted in that manner. Correct. Yeah. So so let's take this piece by piece, because I know even <laughs> myself and certainly the people we meet with in our audience, let's just take crypto, because I think that's the one that people talk about the most mm -hmm. and is at least makes the headlines right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the one that is on the headlines the most is Bitcoin, probably. There's several others. Um, why all the rage? I mean, why, why, what, why should the public care? Why do people seem to care? And we can't predict the future here. But what's the hope that people that really care about this stuff, it will become? Yeah, I think there's a couple reasons why. I think one of it is just FOMO, you know, that fear of missing out. You've seen cryptocurrency go from, you know, 
five to 10 years ago being, you know, I'll say somewhat inexpensive to, you know, 40, 50, $60,000 per, you know, unit of, of Bitcoin. Um, you know, their, their stories are of all these people getting wealthy and rich off of, off, off of their Bitcoin investments. So I think that sort of fear of missing out is driving some of it. I think some of it's sort of new, it's exciting, it's interesting, um, is, is driving some of it. So I, th I think there's a couple of components of, of what it is. Is it the next sort of currency? We, we can debate that. So, you know, when we look at it, you know, people talk about it. Is it, is it sort of speculation or is it an investment? So we look at it and we say, well, you know, the SEC doesn't regulate it. So there's zero regulation about it. So if you think about the dollar, you know, the U.S. dollar, for example, there's a, a central bank, the Federal Reserve. There's they're talking about interest rates they're talking about inflation. There's sort of a, a, a backstop behind the U.S. dollar. Uh, but with cryptocurrency, there's zero regulation. So you're buying something that's completely unregulated. So for us as a fiduciary, it's really hard to recommend something that's completely unregulated. The other component of it is we don't really know how to value it. So if you have like a, a stock, there's valuation methodologies. If you have a bond, there's a way to value it. With cryptocurrency, we don't know why it should be valued at you know 20,000 or 40,000 or 60,000. We don't really know. So it's really hard for us to say, yes, you should buy it because again, it's unregulated and because we don't understand how to value it. And it's not just us that don't understand it. It's there's no valuation methodology for it in general. So it's just very difficult. So we see it as more currently as more speculative than a, a specific investment. That being said, you know, if you had clients or high net worth individuals that said, hey, I just want it for a really small part of my portfolio. I kind of want to see what it does. It's not the end of the world, but I wouldn't be putting all my eggs in that Bitcoin or cryptocurrency basket. One, one thing from being in the younger generation, um, 24 years old or about to be, uh, I feel like with social media, you see like what you're saying, it's, it's really this FOMO that's driving it. Um, you know, you go in there and little Billy, this 18 years old in college, just bought a Lambo, supposedly. Who, I mean, who knows if he really rented it, you know, but he just bought a Lambo and he's selling a course for $500 how to trade Bitcoin. It's the best technical analysis you can find. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely think from a younger generation, I see that for sure. Um, and then even one thing that I was going to ask as well is you see somebody like Odell Beckham Jr., for example, he took a portion of his salary, even all of his salary um, in Bitcoin or a, another type of cryptocurrency. Do you see that that's pushing it? And also, do you think, I mean, I have my opinion on it, but do you think there's an issue with famous people being out there telling people, um, you know, maybe they should buy it or, hey, I'm going to take my, my salary in it um, and that kind of, you know, rise in the FOMO as well? Yeah, it certainly uh, adds to the, the FOMO aspect of it. There's no doubt. I mean, if you were watching the Super Bowl, uh, you know, I don't know how many crypto commercials there were, but there were several. And several of them have, you know, famous celebrities that are, are sort of pushing crypto. So if you sort of believe in that, that's another reason why people are, are getting excited about it. For athletes that want to take their salaries or parts of their salaries in it, again, I'll, I'll assume that they have um, a, a, somebody that's directing them towards that advice. If they have you know millions in contracts and they've already made that, and that's sort of in safer assets, and they're taking a portion of it in crypto, and that's what they want to do. Again, that's that's their choice. We just again don't know how to value it. It could be worth a lot, and it could be worth next to nothing. We really just we don't know. Uh, it also depends on which cryptocurrency they're getting their salary in. You know, we, we're talking about Bitcoin, but there's uh, half a dozen, dozen other bit uh, of cryptocurrencies out there. 
which one are they actually getting it in? Um, and, and which one is going to be successful, if any of them? We just don't know. Yeah. So it's, they're taking a big gamble by doing that. But again, if that's how they want to choose to invest their, their salary and their livelihood, that, that's their choice. I'd like to interject because I, I, mean, I have a thought about this. <laughs> um, and this is a cynical part of me. I have to believe a lot, if not perhaps almost all of it, and I'm not picking on any celebrity or star individually, that it's all for show and here's why. And that's not a judgment on crypto. If I wanted my entire salary in crypto, I could take it in dollars and go buy crypto silently without telling everyone, right? So me taking my salary in crypto has nothing to do with the public knowing about it, number one, and number two about a transaction, because all that is 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 publicizing a transaction, meaning mm -hmm. if he made, I don't have no clue what the dude makes. I'm sure he's uh, I think it was 800000 is right. what he took. Let's call it a million for round numbers, okay? So a million dollars, I could have taken that in cash and bought it the next nanosecond. It was either my employer buying it and giving me crypto or me buying it. So announcing it to the public was a publicity stunt, even if you believe in it. In other words, what I'm saying is, there are two separate issues. One, do I believe in Bitcoin and one, am I trying for drama? I think that's drama. So I'm, that's my non-financial <laughs> take on that situation is a little Kardashian. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And I'll, I'll even sure. add to that too. You get somebody like Jake Paul, for example, this you know up and coming boxer will say, um, he's doing like NFTs and, and you see somebody like Nigel Houston, he's posting you know this new NFT. I think that it should, for one, I think it should be regulated. I think there's some issue there as well of, hey, you know, he might dump a couple hundred thousand dollars in there, go out, push it on his social media, and then it's a pump and dump. Um, and I think that's one thing that, you know, you get, you know, non-accredited young investors that are worried about missing out on FOMO trying to catch the next thousand dollar pump. You know, you get somebody with a few hundred thousand dollars that's famous going on there and doing some publicity stunt, pumping it up, you just lost a thousand dollars. I mean, thousand dollars to somebody my age is, is a pretty big deal. So um, I think there is some issue with that as well on, you know, seeing Jake Paul or, or some, you know, any other famous celebrity posting about it. You think it's the best thing in the world. You go buy it. Five days later, they sell it. You just lost all your money. So yep. I think there is some issue there as well that, that probably should be, you know, at least having somebody watch over it. And we see these things. They're cyclical. You know, if you think back to the tech bubble, um, you know, it, there were all these day traders that came out. I was sitting here saying that. This is exactly. <laughs> yeah. remember it's nineteen ninety eight all over again. Exactly. That you know the markets were going up. Everybody was day trading in tech stocks, and everybody was making money. And I say everybody in air quotes. And it was so easy just to be a day trader because hey, everybody makes money in the market, right? It's just very easy. So you're starting to see some of that now. We saw that last year with meme stocks, where <laughs> yeah. people were you know going onto Reddit forums and and looking at things like GameStop and making money on it and being successful. There was an article, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal um, a week or so ago, of a couple of, um, I'll say, younger folks that had made a lot of money in GameStop and said, hey, we're going to go day trade. We're going to just do this now for a living because it's so easy. So they quit their jobs. They invested all their money into the market and they've been losing their shirt because they realized it's it's not so easy. So it's just it's it's cyclicality. We see this all the time when markets have been going up consistently that a lot of people think it's easy. And, you know, for those of us, um, I'll include both of us that have been doing this a long time. It's, it's just not easy. It's it, markets go up, markets go down. We see people lose a lot of money, unfortunately, because they make emotional um, decisions based upon things that they think are going to happen. Or it's so obvious it's going to happen that, that it doesn't. And, uh, and that's unfortunate. No, we don't like to see that happen.
And it's a little bit not us being old fogies, right? Uh, we're, <laughs> we are, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, God. <laughs> but it's not us. You know, we're joking before we started the podcast, joking about our children and some personal stories. And, you know, I feel like it's a little bit of that. Like I, I told you, son, to take your jacket, yeah, right? Yeah. Skiing. And, <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's with clients, we're not trying to brush off new ideas. I'm very open to new ideas. The problem is I don't want to jump upon a train that's going to go off a cliff, mm-hmm. not knowing where the tracks lay, right? And I feel like a lot of this stuff, whether it was 1998, and that now seems like a long time ago, it is. There are some flashbacks and similarities, I feel, to this. And, you know, from that, the Internet has done well. Plenty of tech stocks did well. The problem is plenty of them went off the cliff, too, mm-hmm. right? And so I think what we always talk about with investments, one of the reasons you can do in investments, not calling crypto an investment yet, and we'll talk about that, uh, is the unknown. If we had a known, you wouldn't do so well, right? And so this truly is uncharted territory as it always is. The next crypto or whatever it will be, will be uncharted territory, right? In that part of capitalism, this constant expansion and contraction of trying to figure the best way to derive value to society and provide services in unique ways that are cheaper, better, more efficient and improve humanity. Well, if you think about, you know, let, let's use Super Bowl commercials again. Let's go back to the tech bubble. Do you remember the sock puppet from Pets.com? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a very famous commercial. Everybody loved the sock puppet. Where's Pets.com today? You know, Amazon has done great. Pets.com, not so great. So there's going to be winners and losers in all of these things. And, the, you know, the, the hard part is figuring out who is going to be the winner and who's going to be the loser. And in things like cryptocurrency, they're just so unknown and it, it, it's just it's really difficult to to try and, and pick what's what's going to succeed or not when you can drive the value of um, a, a cryptocurrency by an Elon Musk tweet significantly. <laughs> that says all you need to know about. You're, the you're telling me Elon Musk tweets about a dog. I don't need to go buy. I mean, I love dogs. I have a dog. I, don't, I should go some go buy some. <laughs> Well, and, and there's been some other famous people take the other position of that, right? I think his name's Charlie Munger, Munger mm-hmm. um, uh, the right-hand man of Berkshire yep. Hathaway. Um, and, and, and to me, crypto, I'm not equating it to gold, but it, it, if it's a currency, and that's debatable, right? Um, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce value. It doesn't grow anything. It doesn't provide a better service unless it's a way to cheaper, more cheaply transact. And that, I guess, is the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to get careful. We have to be careful getting caught up in that and ha- stepping back. And, um, you know, I think part of our evaluation is trying to determine will society even deem this to be uh, something of use and value. And so one of the things I want to talk about briefly, because Cam- Cameron mentioned it, what would be, and, and I don't want to put you on the spot with a prediction, but because I, I, I'm happy to say my own, but what if this be, continued to grow and there was a regulation? I'll say A, mm-hmm. not a bunch, right? We deal with a bunch. Wouldn't that probably have an effect on something like crypto? Isn't oh, that the appeal is no regulation? Sure. If it, well, the, the lack of regulation certainly does appeal to um, a certain group. I mean, there's there's... Uh, if you look at some of the crypto transactions that have occurred, you know there are stories or articles about um, you know drug trafficking, um, weapons being purchased with cryptocurrency, sort of the black market things we don't want to necessarily talk about with our society being done with cryptocurrency because it is unregulated. So there's certainly a an attractive part of cryptocurrency from that perspective. So regulation um, would be, you know, from our perspective as a fiduciary, a good thing for other folks that are using it for, let's say, um, more nefarious reasons. Uh, you know, it, it's not an attractive thing. So it's all just depending upon where you're sitting in the crypto trade. 
you know, and then there's the whole aspect, which we could spend another hour talking about is well, what happens if you start seeing countries come out with their own digital currency. So China, for example, is, is testing their own digital currency. The U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve has talked about the possibility of creating the U.S. dollar in a digital currency. So different than us using our credit card or our debit card, you know, with digitization, but actually having a digital currency. And what would that mean? And what would that do to cryptocurrency? So certainly regulation would be, again, from our perspective, a positive for something like cryptocurrency. Um, but again, there's so many different avenues that this and roads this, this can take going forward. Um we just don't know what what that's going to be like. And that's part of the fun of it is it's exciting to watch. It's exciting to see. The question is, you know, do you want it as an investment? You know, you, you ask the question of, um, you know, how is it treated? The IRS, for example, you know, we talked about no regulation. The IRS considers it property. They don't even consider it a currency. So it's got currency in the name, but the IRS considers it property, not a currency. So you have um, capital gains consequences from holding crypto. So, again, another consequence, if you will, of if you buy it and sell it, uh, just again, think about your, your capital gain situation from, from that perspective. Yeah, they come uh, April 15th, they're going to be hit with a, a pretty hefty tax penalty if, if they weren't planning for that, at least. Yep. At least some of the ones that, that made a, you know, a few hundred thousand went bought a Lambo, they probably weren't thinking about that. Yeah, a lot of these yeah, novice folks, it's the first they think is they're playing with it as free money. Great point. You know, someone that happened to have gotten fortunate, really won a lottery ticket, make a million dollars, they're going to owe a lot of that back. Uh, uh, you know, assuming they report it like they should, uh, a lot of them probably don't even realize. And and you mentioned so one thing, other thing with regulation, I think that a lot of people don't think about because this is traded worldwide currently. Um, it may not just be the regulation in our own country, right? What if Germany or France or another major country in the world markets, let's just take Germany for instance, uh, were to do it? Um, that could have a ripple effect, right? Uh, then you have another country in Europe, and you have three or four countries, and then the U.S. is, yeah, maybe we'll do it too, right? So uh, regulation may not happen in these walls first. Maybe it will, but I think sometimes people think they're insulated sitting in whatever, you know, where they are of regulations in other parts of the world. Sure, and, you know, the, uh, certainly regulation is going to have an impact regardless of where it comes from. Um, and then you think about, again, let's think about it as an investment. Sure, you could go out and buy, you know, actual Bitcoin through Coinbase or some other, um, you know, crypto exchange. Now there are actually ETFs that buy Bitcoin futures. So it's not actually buying Bitcoin, it's buying Bitcoin futures, which has its own um, sets of, of challenges or issues in terms of that the futures market isn't actual Bitcoin. So you can't necessarily expect the price of your Bitcoin ETF to go up and down with the price of Bitcoin because it's again based upon the futures market. So there's lots of asset managers out there that are sort of waiting in line to be able to produce a, an ETF or fund that's sort of specific to actual Bitcoin dollars, if you will, um, you know, the actual cryptocurrency rather than the, the futures. But again, with lack of regulation, that just hasn't happened from the SEC yet. And so what you're telling me, just so I, I make sure the audience understands this, the crypto is not is not a currency per se, according to the IRS, it's an asset, and we don't know where it's going. We can throw more gasoline on the enormous fire by betting on the future of that through future transaction. So if you're doing something like that, you're talking about going to Vegas, really, and throwing some money on the craps table. I mean, in all... You might get it right, but that's probably not even an educated guess. 
Yeah, I think the, the the word we would use is speculation. We don't see it as an investment like we would with a stock or a bond. We see it as more a speculation. Again, if it's something you want to do with sort of a, a side pool of money that you have and just you're willing and able to lose that, great. But if this is your retirement money, if this is the money you really need for your future, it, it's just our opinion right now, again, based upon our, our inability to value it and the lack of regulation, we just wouldn't be betting the farm on it. What else about crypto? We asked. We were all while we got him here. I, I, I think that's that handled it. I, I know we want to move on to inflation in a second, but I want to hit just for a quick minute. Um, so this is my personal pet peeve: the NFT thing. Like, I understand crypto because I've you know been forced to ask a lot of questions, and I want to be educated. The NFT thing to me personally is a little more silly. Um, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> in fact, I saw a great. Um, uh, a thing where they had a, had a picture of a psychiatrist and somebody was laying on the couch and the psychiatrist was talking to the patient and he said, now these NFTs, do you see them in the room with us now? <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about these things. Um, if, if it was hard for me to get my car to get to crypto, you can imagine the NFT thing. And for the for, for our audience, just to kind of re-explain, NFT is somewhere out in the stratosphere on the internet that we're buying a secure piece of digitized ownership using the technology called blockchain chain to secure it, such as the moment in time when Eric walked in here was the second guest forever, someone out there could buy that moment and own it permanently. Well, that's a unique, that's a unique moment. I get that one, right? <laughs> um, but my son tells me in video games, you can buy real estate of a theme for, uh, and, and I'm dating myself because my kids, are, let's say it was Minecraft, whatever, right? For some greenery in the hog farm, right? In the in the metaverse. In the metaverse. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> like, and he's telling me people are paying hundreds of thousands. Where are these people and how stupid are they? Uh, you know, it's I look at it as sort of um, digitized art. You know, there's certainly a host of people out there that look at things like NFTs and say they're worthless. And there's lots of people that see some sort of value in it. Um, I'm like you. I'm not sure I understand the value in it or see it. Um, I've asked my teenagers about it and trying to understand exactly like what the what what the excitement is all about, and they struggle with it as well. They're like, "Why would I want to own that?" Like, especially you own the unique code, so it's sort of like bragging rights to say, "Hey, I own this," even though other people can access it and have the same picture on the internet. It's just sort of you own that unique code to say that's yours. Um, I don't necessarily understand the attraction behind it, but clearly I, I'm, I'm missing something because people are, are spending lots of money for it. So. Yeah, I was going to say I'm closer to, to your kid's age and I, I personally don't understand it. And I've I've tried. I don't I've, I just bought my first house. So, I mean, I, I can understand buying a house, you know, in, in the real world um, where real people are. But I can't imagine spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a fake house and a fake virtual land that I'm not, I don't know. I just, I don't get it personally. I, I agree. And I'm glad to hear that. And again, there are a few unique things that maybe one would say, okay, that's neat to own. I, like I've heard the first tweet tweet that was ever sent out. Okay. That's a unique piece of history. Maybe mm -hmm. the first, I don't know. Maybe. Email maybe. That went out, maybe. <laughs> we're on the maybe. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're on the call. We put our seatbelt on. We haven't cranked it up yet. We're driving but, towards maybe. But that's as far as I get, right? Beyond yeah. that, I'm like, I don't understand it, but Okay. <laughs> Enough about that. Um, we need to move on to another topic or we're going to lose our audience here. Um, let's talk about inflation. Uh, totally different subject here. Um, this is the first time 
really in a lot of people's lives, right? We're talking 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, l- let's say you're under 40. You've never seen this and you were, you know, you're a baby then even, right? So really people, I would say 60, at all sense and purposes, this is the first experience in their working life, adult life, that they had to pay it. 60 or under, let's, let's even be generous, 55 50, and under. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> um, you know, they weren't working though back then, right? Sure. So this is the first time. Maybe talk a little bit, uh, you know, what, what you think's causing it. Is it transitory? Is it here? Uh, and maybe just share a little bit about that. Sure. Well, we're not allowed to use the transitory word. Anymore, I know. We, as the yeah. Fed says. We, we got so the official that's a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's verboten. Uh, so basically what, you know, if you think about where we were with COVID, uh, we had an economy that was shut down for a period of time. Uh, we had massive stimulus behind the, you know, from the Fed, just trying to open things up or at least get people to spend. Uh, and then we have massive supply chain issues across the globe that, again, are a result of COVID that we're still trying to work through in, in a lot of respects. You kind of put all those things together and we're starting to see inflation. Um, and, you know, it was, if you think about the Fed, the, their average target is what their new language has been over the last couple of years is about 2%. We've been significantly under 2% for a long time. And the goal was to at least get it up to three, maybe four. Even 5% isn't terrible for a short period of time, arguably. But what we've seen over the last couple of months, and the last reading came out, I think it was last week, is now 7.5%. So it's a pretty big number when you're thinking your average is two. So, you know, what's causing that? Again, it's it's a lot of things, but it's mostly COVID-related, uh, very easy money, lots of people spending on all these different things. And now you have, again, a supply chain issue. So there's just no inventory of really anything. I mean, we had to go buy a refrigerator uh, last week and, you know, we had to choose one because that was the one they had in the store or available in, in inventory. The one we wanted was four months delayed. So, you know, if, if you need something, it's just hard to get it. If you've been on a car lot recently, there's zero inventory across, you know, cars. And that's new cars and used cars. Used car, used car prices have also skyrocketed. So if you think about inflation, you know, uh, energy costs are part of it. We have um, food costs are part of it. Housing, you know, it's, it's sort of a rental income um, number that, that we use. For, for inflation. Those are all sort of components of what makes up CPI, which is the consumer price index, which is sort of the main um, inflation number that you see you used most. Interestingly, the Fed, who's going to decide to likely in- raise interest rates in, um, in March, they use something called PCE, which is a completely different measure than CPI, but also measures inflation just in a different way. So we don't have to get too technical on the differences, but um, Again, essentially, that's that's what's been driving it. The ways to combat inflation is what you're going to see starting in March is the Fed will likely be rising, raising short term interest rates. The question now is, will it, will it be a 25 basis point increase? Again, we're at zero to 0.25 percent now will be 25 basis points or 50 basis points. And then how many more rates increases are we going to see throughout the year? So, you know, let's say six months ago. The predictions were that we were going to see maybe one, maybe two interest rate increases in 2022, likely at the end of the year. Now, a couple months later, we're going to see, again, market is predicting five increases this year. 
and it's going to be somewhere between you know 25 to 50 basis points likely each move whether that happens or not again um, that's what the market is predicting today and as we always know those can change pretty rapidly so let's see what the fed does in march uh, let's see how the market and economy actually are impacted by it. And then we'll start to see what the Fed decides to do later in the year. So for those in the audience that don't know, um, maybe in layman's terms, what happens when, if let's say we get 50, 50 basis points, let's just throw that number out there. What is the goal or what, what happens fundamentally in economy when, when it's raised by 50 points to help inflation? How does that mathematically work? So the Fed controls short-term interest rates. So they, they don't control you know, uh, long-term interest rates. They don't control like intermediate-term interest rates. They control short-term interest rates. And a lot of things are driven by those rates, whether they're um, savings rates at banks, whether they're loans. Uh, that people are taking. Basically, just the cost of doing business gets more expensive for businesses, for households. So the idea is as things get more expensive, people spend less. And if you spend less, your inflation should go down because inflation is sort of too many dollars chasing too few goods. So if you can lower the number of dollars chasing those goods, you should arguably have lower inflation. And we've had all the stimulus, which is the dollars, and we've had no supply, which is a lack of good recipe for disaster. And then the hope is to tweak that with the inflation. Is that correct? And we've had, again, with COVID, we haven't had people traveling. We haven't had people just spending money on sort of the leisure activities that you would normally see going out to eat, spending money at the movies. Everybody's sort of been more home related, homebound. Um, so you've seen a lot of people spending money on fixing up their home. Uh, buying a new refrigerator, washers and dryers, new cars, basically buying more goods than services. Uh, than services. Yep. And, and one of the challenges in the economy is can those service industries probably exist, right? Like I'm so disappointed. One of my favorite Mexican restaurants out of business, right? I'm um, heartbroken. I don't know what we can do about this. But um, yeah, I think a big part of it, the return to the restaurants hasn't necessarily happened. Mm -hmm. And the problem is if I don't buy a refrigerator today, but I buy it later, I still bought a refrigerator. But if I didn't eat supper tonight at the Mexican restaurant and I eat tomorrow night, they never can make up for that revenue, right? Same with the hotel. The it's worst impossible. Thing, worst thing about a hotel is just having empty rooms. Right. They'd rather have discounted rooms than empty rooms. Right. You can't get that money back. Right. right. And the restaurants and a lot of those leisure industries are having problems not only with people coming back, but with labor. Uh, because there's less people in the workforce right now and their costs are going up. So you've got that double whammy hitting them as well. So it's just been challenging for them. You know, they're they're if you are if you you know drive down a major highway today and you can see, you know, even just McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Burger King, they all have signs out front. It's you know, $12 an hour one week, it's $14 an hour the next week. They're having to increase their wages in order to attract employees. And if you're a restaurant and you can't attract employees, well, it's hard to stay open. Yep. Yep. So, so, yeah, my son keeps asking for more money for cutting the grass because he sees these signs going up. <laughs> so that inflation was 7%. Where's my increase? <laughs> yeah. um, so what about, you know, we're, we're not going to get too far into the markets today, but is that worldwide? Meaning, is that just affecting the U.S. or do, do, does do some of the international markets maybe have an advantage because they didn't go as low originally? Um, certainly not all economies are working in harmonious direction together. <laughs> So um, what does that mean for our for our com competition in the U.S. 
uh, abroad? Is it going to be more difficult maybe in the years to come? Because we're certainly facing it here. Yeah, it's we're all at different stages of the economic cycle. So if you think about you know where we are, let's just talk about again COVID for example. Different countries had different policies for shutting down or not. Uh, different policies for um, you know their economy and things like their central banks of what they were doing with interest rates and how accommodative they were being and so forth. We're all coming out of it at different paces too, and that's obviously impacting their economies as well. So we're all at different stages across the globe. And it's interesting if you see, you know, uh, the, uh, the the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, Bank of Japan, uh, the United States, you know, Federal Reserve, all of our central banks are doing different things at different times. So there are certainly impacts globally from that perspective. So, you know, if you think about the, the U.S. interest rates, if you have U.S. interest rates that all of a sudden become higher relative to other nations, that makes sort of U.S. interest rates more attractive just because they're essentially higher than what you can get elsewhere. So there's going to be impacts, um, and, you know, that all impacts currencies. It impacts lots of other things. It's, it's, it's very dynamic in, in how that works. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cameron, you got anything else to drill him about inflation? No, sound <laughs> NFTs, crypto, and inflation. I think we we covered it pretty well. Well, I'm going to hit you with one more. So uh, we're going to run out of time here. But you know, it's one of the things hot in the news right now is Russia on the border of Ukraine. Um, and you know, this isn't necessarily a show or time to get into all the geopolitical reasons. And I was talking earlier before we started this is there's always a geopolitical thing going on somewhere. I think you know I've been doing this getting approaching 25 years. Um, and I think about every six months, there's a new one, right? And maybe this is a big one. I, you know, I don't pretend to be an expert in geopolitical affairs. Um, but while the concern, why are the markets all flutter uh, potentially? You know, if it's a good day about if we're not going, if they're not going to war, they are going to war. Maybe if you could just share a moment or two, what happens when these things happen uh, to markets and why? Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize a couple of things. One is that, you know, the markets are not the economy. Right. So markets are forward looking. Markets are looking at different things than than necessarily the economy. So let's sort of separate those two things. I think the other thing related to the markets is markets don't like uncertainty. So if there is uh, a war, you know, with Russia and Ukraine, uh, what other countries get involved? What does that look like? How long does it last? What is the impact? So just the uncertainty of it all, the timing, the effects, the impact, uh, markets just don't like uncertainty, whether it's geopolitical events or something else, just uncertainty is sort of a dirty word for the market. So when you see a lot of uncertainty, especially with, uh, you know, what's called a, a major world power like Russia, it just creates concern for, for markets globally. And that's why you've seen the impact recently. And is it safe to say this won't be the last one we'll ever see? Oh, it's pretty safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's the one safe thing we'll yeah, say for today. That's the interesting thing about the markets is there's always something driving it. It's hard to tell always what the impact w- would be. Um, in my experience, the, the things that are obvious are the things that don't happen the way you think they're going to happen. Uh, so, you know, it's just if, if everybody's talking about it, if everybody's doing it, it's usually not the way it actually winds up coming out. And if we knew in advance, we... We'd be retired on a beach. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be be retired already. (laughs) It's true. Um, Yeah, so I think that's important to keep in mind. It's it's that uncertainty that really drives the market. Uh, The market doesn't like uncertainty, so there's going to be fluctuations when that happens. 
Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, I'll tell you, thanks for, I always learn a lot. You're a really smart guy. Uh, we probably didn't give you a proper introduction uh, to start off with, but we've covered everything from crypto, blockchain, uh, these fungible tokens going everywhere. Unfungible tokens. Uh, unfungible or whatever they're <laughs> called. Um, uh, let's see, inflation and wars. So that's a lot to unpack in about 30 minutes or so. Now, I'm going to take a little bit different twist in this. We normally ask what makes you tick, but we already asked that before. Okay. okay. So um, on the hot seat. Okay. Yeah, this is new. I'm like making this up as I go. So I'm not sure what's going to come out here. No, what's uh. What's one thing that you would think is people, we're still relatively new in this year, could do to better their financial life that maybe they haven't done in the past? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, one thing they could do this year that they haven't done in the past. I guess it depends on what they've done in the past. Um, you know, I, I think for the most part, just having a plan is such a key that I see so many investors of, I don't want to say avoid, but not necessarily think about. It's, it's thinking about sort of, I want to make money. I want to have more than I had before, but there's not necessarily the plan of what they're going to do with it or the, the value in having sort of more. Um, what's the goal? What are you, what, what are you trying to achieve with, um, your investment plan. For some people, that's different. You know, if you have a 529 plan, it could be saving for your kid's college. It could be saving for retirement. But even in retirement, what does that look like? What is your goal in retirement? Are you planning on working? Or are you not planning on working? Are you um, planning on vacationing a lot? And what do those vacations look like? So I think for a lot of people just getting deeper into the actual thoughts about what they want to do with their plan, uh, is something I would recommend for all investors. It's not just keeping it high level, but really trying to spend time with folks like yourself to dig deep into what their future looks like and how they want to their world to look with what they achieve. Man, you answered that perfectly. I really took some <laughs> liberty and risk there asking it, but what a perfect answer for those who aren't in the business. Uh, so I think Cameron would agree. Uh, that's what how I would actually answer the question. Right? Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, Great to have you. Always a wealth of knowledge. We really appreciate Thanks for having it. me again. Glad to be back, and yeah. hopefully I can come back for a third time. We'll see what happens. And then, and then, so after this, uh, check us out. We'll be doing an NFT. Um, it'll be on eBay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. For this moment. Then, then we'll have a third. And then we'll have a third one, yes. But the second only happens one time. Yeah, one time. So thank everyone for joining us. Again, we're connected by community. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram and all the various podcasts. Until we see you next time, go out and make our community great. All information during this podcast is for discussion purposes only, should not be construed as advice. Please seek the advice of appropriate professionals before acting on anything in this podcast. Past performance is not an indicator of future results. Securities through Tried Advisors, LLC, member FINRA. Advisor services through Ballantine Capital Advisors, Inc., Tried Advisors, and Ballantine Capital Advisors are not affiliated.